It was over 10 years ago now that I, I moved from um, Lanarkshire to Edinburgh to be a student at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. And what a privilege that was, uh, getting to study God's Word in the original languages, getting to sit under some really godly professors, helping us understand the finer points of doctrine. And it was a place where I made so many lifelong friends. One of my friends uh, during my time in Edinburgh worked as a, an evangelist in a church. And uh, one day after seminary, he invited me to go out with him with invites for his lo- the, the local community where his church was in, inviting businessmen, shop owners, restaurant owners to an evangelistic event the church was running. So as a young first-year seminary student, I was really keen and so down I went to, to a street in Edinburgh, just at the top of the leaf, called London Road. And uh, we would go in the shops, go in the offices, inviting people to this evangelistic event. And we were met with a mixed reaction. Some people were really interested, very grateful that we would invite them to this event. Some declined, told us that they were people of faith. Some were Muslims. Uh, some were of other different faiths. But they were glad for the invite. Others were just disinterested entirely. Well, as we're walking along, I'm going in and out of each place, and, and, and so far, so normal. And then I got to, to one shop, and I looked up at it. And uh, you can ask me later what it was, because I'm, I'm so embarrassed to this story. My mind said, they won't need evangelistic invite to this event. And so I just started to walk on. Until my friend Ewan said to me, Andy... You'll do this one. And in that moment, it hit me what I'd just done. I had said in my mind, there were people beyond the pale who didn't need the gospel. This is a sinful confession. Because of a heart, a sinful heart, filled with pride and prejudice, I deemed that these people weren't deserving the grace of God. Honestly, when I, even sharing that story with you this morning, I feel deep shame and embarrassment. But I mention it because in the passage we're looking at this morning, it's the exact same problem with the disciples of Jesus. In this passage that we're looking at this morning, we're, we're finishing off the, this, the story of the Samaritan woman, and the problem with the disciples we're going to see is that they... They don't fully appreciate or understand the grace of God. And nor do they get the mission of the gospel. But you know what the staggering thing is? The Samaritan woman, the least likely, understood the grace of God and the mission of the gospel. And so as we look at this passage, that's what we're going to see. Now, I want us to look at this passage under four headings. The first one we'll spend most time looking at, the surprising responses to the Savior in verses 27 through 30. And then very quickly we'll look at the Savior's food, the Savior's harvest, and then finally the Savior of the world. Now as we pick this up in verse 27, Jesus is still seated at the side of the well. He's just finishing up his conversation with this Samaritan woman. And verse 27 tells us, just at that moment, the disciples came back. Now, if you weren't here last time, we read in verse 8 that the disciples had gone into town 
to buy food for them in Jesus. So if you're going to picture this scene, picture Jesus seated at the side of the well, a stranger, a Samaritan woman standing next to him, and his disciples walking up with the first century equivalent of Tesco shopping bags, bulging with sandwiches and snacks and soft drinks. And as they wander up to the well, there's shock all over their faces. They can see that Jesus has been deep in conversation with this woman. In fact, the contents of verse 27 revealed to us that the, the atmosphere turned immediately awkward and tense. No one dared to speak. Now, you, you know what it's like when you find yourself in like an awkward situation. You, you don't know where to look. You don't know wh- what to say. We'll picture the disciples here. They see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. They don't want to look at her, so they probably do everything possible to avoid eye contact. And then there's this woman. She's just received from Jesus what she desperately needed, true satisfaction. Living waters. And no doubt she's beaming, radiant with joy. But she doesn't know what to do with herself as these men approach. And so she swivels in her feet and she sprints back to her hometown. And there's Jesus. Sitting at the seat of the well, staring at his disciples and staring at this woman as she runs away. Now, John wants us to know what was going on in the disciples' head and hearts at this moment. Remember, John, the author, was one of the disciples. He never forgot this moment. And he tells us in verse 27 that they marveled that Jesus was talking to a woman. The idea of marveling here is that they were gobsmacked. They were so shocked and surprised. You see, it was culturally taboo for a Jewish man to talk to a woman in public. More than that, Jesus was a rabbi. And rabbis, many rabbis, we know from some historical records, didn't waste time speaking to women. And these... Disciples, they're just dumbfounded at what they see. They're, they're marveling. They're surprised. They're struck. Speechless. Back in verse 9, we were told the Samaritan, that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Remember, the Samaritans, they were a, a mixed race people. They'd formerly been Jews, and then they intermingled with people from different nations. That wasn't the only problem in the Jewish mindset. It was that also they they mixed up the Jewish religion with other parts of pagan religion. So they were a mixed up race with a mixed up religion and the Jews detested them, despised them, would do everything to, to keep their distance from them. Secondly, John informs us what was going on, not just in their hearts, how they were feeling, but what was going on in their heads. You see, as they're, as, as they're just been looking on at Jesus having this conversation with this woman, they're thinking, what, what was Jesus seeking with her? 
Why was Jesus talking with her? Now, none of them dared to mumble out their question. It was awkward. But but let us not just skip over their questions, because we know the answer to both questions. What did Jesus seek with this woman? Remember verse 23? The Father seeks true worshippers. What was Jesus seeking with this woman? He was seeking to turn her from a false worshipper into a true worshipper. Why was Jesus talking to her? Well, we, we, we saw last week that the soundtrack of her life was that Rolling Stones song, I cannot get, I can't get no satisfaction. And this woman had tried to get satisfaction. She had tried and tried in men and marriage and multiple relationships, but she couldn't get satisfaction. And Jesus was talking with her so that she would receive true satisfaction in him. So that springs, a well of living water, would well up inside of her to eternal life. Sadly, the, Jew, the, the disciples had no clue that this was the content of their conversation. They just stood in shock, surprised at Jesus. John Calvin has this beautiful insight in his commentary on this passage, and he says, you know the problem with the disciples is they were marveling at the wrong thing. You know what they should have been marveling at? Themselves. In essence, John Calvin said, you know the wonder of wonders is that this holy son of God would have a relationship with anyone who is a sinner. None of these men were worthy of a relationship with Jesus. None of them were deserving his love and affection and attention. In fact, that's why we we speak of God's love using that word grace. It's all undeserved. And these disciples were no more worthy of heaven than this sinful Samaritan woman. And they should have been marveling at that. And you know, church, before we move on from this point, I need to say this. If you are a Christian here this morning, you and I need to marvel at this fact. That you and I are Christians this morning because of the amazing grace of God. We are not worthy of a relationship with Him. But, He in love and in grace gives us what we do not deserve. We deserve eternal death. He gives us eternal life. We deserve condemnation. He heaps us with blessing and honor, adopts us as his children, makes us as his very own. Now the disciples problem wasn't just that they were marveling at the wrong thing and they didn't understand the amazing grace of God. Their other problem was they did not understand the mission of Jesus. That the gospel is for everyone and anyone. That the gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. Their sinful pride and prejudice had meant that they, like me that day in Edinburgh, had limited who was deserving of the gospel. And so here's what this passage is going to, here's what Jesus is going to do in this passage. 
He's going to school his disciples in understanding the grace of God and the mission of the gospel. And church, as we seek to live as faithful disciples here in London in the 21st century, we need to understand and appreciate the grace of God and the mission of the gospel. So let's go. Let's, let's look at it. Look at verse 28 through 30. So, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. Now, it's, it's, it's such a stark contrast. You've got the disciples, and in response to seeing Jesus speaking to this woman, they're struck speechless. And then you've got this woman, in response to being transformed by Jesus, swivels in her feet, sprints into the town, and she's full of speech. Come, come everybody, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And and what's beautiful about John, the author, recording this, there's a little thing that he never forgot. When she sprinted away from the well, she left her water jug. Remember, she'd come with it with the express purpose of drawing water from the well, but she didn't leave with it. A sign that she had found what she was truly looking for. A well of living waters springing up to eternal life. Now, as a result of having her soul thirst quench she goes and tells her townspeople what Jesus has just done for her and what I love about her is that she owns her story everyone in the town knew something of her story that's why they shunned her and despised her that's why she was at the well at midday Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. You know what this woman was amazed by? That Jesus knew the facts of our life. But not only that, that he loved her, knowing the facts of our life. I can be summarized in one word, grace. Love she did not deserve. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us here, do you know what we really desire? We desire people to love us fully and truly. You know one of our greatest fears? One of our greatest fears is that if the people who we want to deeply love us knew every single thing about us, they wouldn't. They would reject us. If your spouse, if your mom or your dad, your son or your daughter knew all that you've ever did, all that you've ever thought, trust me, you would feel shame and you would want to run a million miles for them. But here's the marvel of the gospel. This woman came to Jesus and discovered she knew all about her and yet she loved him. She loved her. She gave him, she, he gave her what she desperately needed, the waters of life. Now, now, just so you see this, she gets grace, but 
there's evidence of the fact that she gets grace. And this is beautiful. Remember why she was at the well at midday? She was at the well at midday because normally women would go early in the morning or in early afternoon or late afternoon when it was cool. She had to go at midday when it, the sun was at its hottest because the people in the town shunned her. Perhaps she'd been a home wrecker. Perhaps some of the men that she'd been married to had come about as a result of an affair. Now, she used to go to the well at 12 o'clock. That shows that her townsfolk truly didn't like her, didn't think much of her at all. But, Instead of harboring bitterness and resentment and hatred towards her own townsfolk, she runs to them and tells them about Jesus. In the last church I passed at a Ugandan elder, he once shared this African proverb and it's always stuck with me. There is only one crime worse than murder in the desert. That is to know where the well is and not tell anyone. There is only one crime worse than murder in the desert. And that is to know where the well is and not tell anyone. This woman cannot be accused of that most cardinal crime. Because she runs to tell everyone where the well of living water is. And she runs to the people who have shunned her and despised her. Unlike the disciples with their sinful pride and prejudice, they couldn't even lift their eyes to look at her. They couldn't understand why Jesus would even talk with her. This Samaritan woman realized that if Jesus was willing to give her the gift of God, then it was for anybody and everybody. Not only did she understand the grace of God, but she understood clearly the mission of the gospel. We don't keep it to ourselves. We make it known all. So church, here's a question for us. Do you understand the grace of God? Has the grace of God so impacted your life, your mind and your heart that it's killing your sinful pride and your prejudices? It's, it addresses the bitterness and the, har- uh, the, the resentment you might harbor towards people that you might be inclined to dislike, and do you see that the gospel is for anyone and anyone? For the most undeserving. No one's beyond the pale of the gospel. Do you understand the mission of Jesus? It's not just for the Jews, that's what the disciples thought, it's for the world. Now, apparently, this woman, owning her story, inviting people to come and see Jesus, caused quite the commotion. Because we read in verse 30, all the townsfolk left the town to come and see Jesus. And just at that point, right, we read in verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples are standing in front of the well with Jesus, just about to start a conversation about the Savior's food, and the Saviour's harvest. 
So that the, 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 the scene shifts from Samaria back to the well. Now, remember the disciples have been struck speechless. One of them finally pipes up, Rabbi, eat! And, and you, can, you can picture the scene, right? That they've got their head in the, the Tesco bags and they're saying, who wanted the cheese sandwich? Who wanted the tuna sandwich? Who wants salt and vinegar crisps? Who wants cheese and onion? And Jesus then all of a sudden says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, things were awkward. They just got more awkward. Where did Jesus get the food from? Did this woman come with a picnic? And did they just have a picnic at the well? They don't have a clue what he's talking about. And the disciples' problem is that they're just, they're so focused on what's right in front of them, their own bellies, their own stomachs. They they want Jesus to eat, but they, they don't realize that Jesus is going to use this opportunity to teach them the lessons about the grace of God and the mission of the gospel. Look at what he says in response. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, what he's done, Jesus does what he's done in the past. He takes something earthly and he uses it figuratively. So he's spoken to the woman at the well about water, but he wasn't speaking about the water in the well. He was speaking about the living waters. He now takes food and he's saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The bread and butter of Jesus' life was to do God's will. And we're going to see this as we study through John's gospel. The will of the Father was that Jesus might bring eternal life to the people. John 6, verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. John 12, verse 50. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, as the Father has told me. In other words, Jesus' will was to bring eternal life to people. That was, that was how he was to fulfill the Father's will. And how was he to accomplish it? Through his perfect life. Through his sacrificial death. And through his glorious resurrection. Now just, just to be clear, Jesus was fully God. Jesus was man. He wasn't saying physical food is unimportant. You know, Jesus, well, seems to be on earth, he, he felt the pangs of hunger. He needed to eat. But his central concern was obedience to God and doing his will. And Jesus said that is what truly nourished him, truly satisfied him, truly energized him. Back in Deuteronomy, there was that verse, remember, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, the disciples' problem, and I would argue it's also our problem, is their focus was on the day-to-day. You know, the concerns of life, food, sometimes work, sometimes relationships, sometimes home, sometimes possessions. And they couldn't see that, that so often we allow the day-to-day concerns push out the supreme concern. The mission of the gospel. Jesus wants us as his disciples to be passionate about his mission. So we move from thinking about the Savior's food to thinking about the Savior's harvest. 
Look at what he says in verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Jesus is now going to help his disciples develop a harvest mindset. Now, there was this proverb back in uh, the first century that between someone sowing the seed and then reaping the harvest, there was four months. And Jesus' point is this. Not so in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is going to use this harvest analogy to teach that the harvest happens at the exact same time as the one sows. They reap. So look down at verse 36. He says to them, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now I've been thinking about this verse this week and some commentators get involved in the details and say, you know, they would have lifted up their eyes and perhaps they saw the crops that were growing. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. Look, lift up your eyes and see who's coming. The town of Samaria. The people. These despised and detested people by the Jews, by the, the, even the, the twelve disciples. Jesus is saying, look, here's the harvest. Here's the amazing thing. He's just sown the seed in this woman. She's gone, sown the seed to our townsfolk. And right there, right then, they're reaping. Now the background to this is a prophecy in Amos chapter 9. We've looked at this prophecy before because when we're looking at the uh, the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, we said that when the messianic age dawns, it will be a time where there's an abundance of wine. In that very same verse, it says this, Behold, the days are coming when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And, and, and there's this picture in Amos of this unprecedented harvesting where the reapers are coming right behind the sores and the sores right behind the reapers. There's no months of waiting when it comes to harvesting souls in the kingdom of God with the arrival of Jesus. And we, we, we saw some more of that background as we sang Psalm 126. Jesus wants his disciples to see that the fields are right for harvest, as, he's a, as they are about to reap a harvest of souls among the Samaritans. Now, now, Jesus goes on to say, there's that saying, one sows and another reaps. Who sowed? He did. She did. Who's going to reap? They are. The disciples. They didn't sow, but they will reap. And by the way, when we're involved in gospel ministry here in London, here's, here's the amazing privilege. There are many people in this city that their mums and dads have sown the seeds of the gospel. That at school there's been a teacher or at school there's been a friend who's sown the seeds of the gospel. Or in their university campus or in their university halls there's been a Christian who's sown the seeds of the gospel. Or in their workplace there's been a consistent witness of a friend, a colleague, He's sown the seeds of the gospel. Or someone has regularly attended a church and, and the minister has sown the seeds of the gospel. And the privilege that so many Christians also have is they get to reap when these people come to faith. One sows and another reaps. 
For the two things go hand in hand and the two rejoice together. Now the disciples, they had no idea that what lay ahead of them was they were going to sow the seeds and reap an incredible harvest. Just read the unfolding story of this gospel and then into the book of Acts. And isn't it beautiful, right, that in John's gospel so far, Jesus has been in Jerusalem, he's gone down to Judea, and he's just come through Samaria. Acts 1 verse 1. What's the mission? The mission is, be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's where the disciples are going to reap a harvest. Now, brothers and sisters, if these disciples had their heads in their shopping bags, eating their sandwiches and chewing on their Mars bars, and Jesus had to say to them, look, lift up your heads, see the fields, see the souls around you, how much more does he need to say that to us? Church, we, we, we live in a city of nine million people. And it is so easy not to see what is in front of us. People. Potential. People who will love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. In your workplace, in your neighborhood. In the recreational things you do. We can be so busy, so consumed with the day-to-day concerns that we push out the mission of the gospel, which is of supreme importance. Jesus would say to us, lift up your eyes and look. Now finally, as we wrap this up, the testimony of the people in verse 42 is we no longer believe just because of what the woman said. They heard for themselves and they, come to, they came to discover that Jesus is the saviour of the world. You know, you know the amazing thing about the grace of God is that it impacts people of all different backgrounds. With the most colourful pasts and people with a good, perhaps self-righteous past. It's for the moral and the immoral, the educated and the uneducated, the rich and the poor. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And isn't it amazing that the disciples would hear the testimony of the Samaritans saying of the one they followed, he is the savior of the world. Their problem was they couldn't see it. That's why they'd shunned the Samaritan women. But now they have to hear it. And they're going to hear it Again and again. Brothers and sisters, as I wrap this up, let me say this. You know what fuels the mission of the gospel? The grace of God. And so as we leave church this morning, right? Let's not do this. Let's not go from here here thinking it's all about what we go and do right now. Now, if you want to know the fuel that will drive you in your mission, is go to the place where you marvel You marvel at what Jesus has done for you. You marvel that he, the holy son of God, should extend a relationship to you, a sinful, hell-deserving sinner. When you grasp the grace of God and it impacts your mind and your heart, out of the abundance of your 
heart, your mouth will speak and your feet will go. And so let it be the grace of God that fuels the mission of the gospel in your life. And if you're not a Christian, come. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Fully knew me. Fully loved me. This is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Believe in him. Let's pray. God, our Father, as we have just been struck afresh at the marvel of your undeserving love shown to us in Jesus, we do pray that it would penetrate our hearts and penetrate our minds. God, we confess that so sometimes the daily concerns of life can push out the mission of the gospel. And sometimes our own sinful pride and prejudices can lead us to limit who we share the gospel with. And so, God, we pray that even this morning you would transform our thinking and renew our hearts and send us from here to be passionate about the mission of the gospel. Thank you so much for the Samaritan woman and her example. And we pray, O oh God, that we would be disciples who are skilled in the school of faith and that we are trained up in the ways of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.